Welcome back everyone. I have an amazing show for you today. I sit down and vibe with Lola Wright. When I mean vibe, I mean sit down and find myself immediately absorbed into the conversations with her. She is incredibly smart, insightful, and in tune with the world today. Every guest I have on the show is special in their own way, and Lola is special because she is incredibly aware of the big picture that we often lose when we live our lives day to day. She pulls back the lens and helps us see what it means to be part of a bigger system on a global scale and how we need to recalibrate and reconnect to others and build up a sense of community again after the impact of COVID-19. And so again, it sort of points to this idea of like, do you relate to yourself as an individual who's really just out for self? Or do you understand that you're part of a fabric, that there's sort of a weaving together of experiences that are producing a shared existence? So if you are a personal growth junkie, this is the episode for you. Sit down and enjoy as you listen to Lola's uplifting advice on how to achieve the life you've always envisioned for yourself. In this episode, you will learn how our individual experiences are connected to so much more than just ourselves, how to find congruence between your internal and external worlds, and how to break through the old narratives to find growth for yourself and your community. Make sure to check out the show notes and see where you can connect with Lola and learn more about the fascinating work that she does. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Today, we are joined by Chicago native Lola Wright. She is a TEDx speaker, coach, and host of Find Your Fierce and Loving podcast. She is an ordained minister with a gift for weaving together the mystical and material. Previously, Lola served for many years as the CEO of the Bodhi Center, an organization committed to personal transformation, collective awakening, conscious activism, and community building. Since then, she has launched Our Circle, a vibrant membership community enriched in opportunity for personal transformation and our collective awakening. I'm so glad you're here. I really want to get into this specifically, collective awakening. I think all of our listeners are going to be curious what that means. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I my sense is that we have lost track of the ways that we are interconnected. And so we have become sort of over-identified with individualism and there's just nothing happening in isolation. And so the extent to which we understand ourselves as part of something greater is the extent to which we feel responsible for, interested in, curious about. And then as we do our own work, we're not just contributing to our own happiness and satisfaction, but we're also contributing to a more peaceful and joyous human experience, which I think is fundamentally what everybody would like more of. So you're describing that isolation that we've been seeing for decades now, and COVID really did that um, to the most maximum degree possible in terms of really isolating the mass majority of people on this planet. And how do you think COVID impacted the already existing problem of isolation? I think there are two ways that it impacted that. One being, I think some people realized, oh, I've actually learned to be with myself in ways that I previously didn't know how to be with myself, in which case it was a great gift. And I think one of the things I'm hearing a lot from people is the fear of getting sort of consumed by an old life that they may have realized was not all it was cracked up to be. 
So I think that's that's one version of what has happened. And then I think the other version is just how really dangerous it can be for human beings to isolate. We are social creatures. And, you know, there have always been community frameworks that got massively disrupted as a result of this pandemic. And that has an impact. You know, I think it's very tempting. It's so great to be out in the world again. And I think that there's going to be sort of a hangover effect once that hit of adrenaline subsides, I think there's going to be some grief that sets in and sort of a new need to recalibrate to this reality. That's so interesting because the summer is catapulting us into the social dynamics and we never eased into it. And the fall is going to come and we're going to go back into our routines. And this episode will air in the fall. So people Mm -hmm. listening are going to be maybe experiencing the theory that you have. And it's on point, I think, because the best thing we can do as humans is to be fluid, right? Mm -hmm. And have a yin and a yang. So as we go up in isolation, we need to slowly come out of isolation. As we go up in socialization, we need to gradually go up in isolation and then gradually come out. Like we need to have a fluidity to our mental health and to everything. And what you're saying is that there was a, you know, a spring pandemic completely flatlined the world, went into isolation, and then also really did catapult us into the summer thing. And then we're maybe just really out of equilibrium now. And then where are we going to settle in? So it'll be interesting to hear if your theory does come through. I would guess that it's going to, um, Hangover, the social hangover has been something that has been actually talked about in a couple of magazines already. And I've seen that headline talking about the social hangover and it spoke to your former point, which is a lot of people realized that they want to pull back on the social experiences. And then when they go back to old ways and socializing at a party, the next day they're exhausted like a hangover. Um, So I think speaking to that, it's already happening. The hangover effect is already happening for people who no longer really want to be the person that they were before COVID. And do you think that's enlightening? Does that, does that kind of go into your schema of what enlightenment means? Like you learn from something and then you grow from it? Yeah. I mean, I fundamentally believe that life is evolutionary in nature. So even the seeming discord, dissonance, drama, disaster, can be in service of something. And from my perspective, not undermining the impact of a global pandemic, all the indicators were there that we were ripe for some kind of massive shift. And so from my perspective, it was necessary. And I sort of take the position that like, if it didn't serve as an interruption to your life such that you reassessed some pretty significant things. I don't know. It may, you know, to me, it was just such a massive opportunity that, and, and I don't think the opportunity is lost. I just think, wow, like this was a big interruption to the way that we knew life to be. And hopefully that was an invitation for people to really reconsider how they want to organize themselves from where you live, where you work, 
who you call your friends, how you spend your money, what you do with your kids. Like there are an infinite number of ways that we were invited to reconsider the way we organize ourselves. Absolutely. And what you're speaking to is the mindset of a growth mindset, which is out of pain, out of right, the lotus in the mud, you get this beautiful opportunity to reassess and re recreate, basically recreate something um, that was once in mud. And a lot of us felt like we were in mud during COVID. And now we're trying to blossom and bloom. And my, it kind of strikes me as there's people who were affected by COVID, but not so gravely that they can't get to that mindset right now because, because they haven't been impacted to the point where like they're deep in their sorrows. And there's a group of people who are still deep in their sorrows, whether it's poverty, home loss, income loss, death, though, you know, I'm not sure those people can see the enlightenment and see the opportunity right now. Like they're still in it. And do you think that there's continued discrepancies between the people who can have a growth mindset and move forward and those who are still just totally knocked down and not able, like, do you, do you see how that's going to affect humanity? I mean, it's going to really divide people further, would it not? Yeah. I mean, I think one of, I don't know that I would necessarily say that people who weren't deeply impacted necessarily optimized the experience. I think one of the things that was very curious or has been curious for me to observe is a real disconnect from the implications of this to humanity. And so again, it sort of points to this idea of like, do you relate to yourself as an individual who's really just out for self or do you understand that you're part of a fabric, that there's sort of a weaving together of experiences that are producing a shared existence? And so I think, you know, human beings are incredibly resilient. So for those who've been most deeply devastated and impacted, I just trust very deeply in the human spirit to transcend those experiences when the time is appropriate and right and authentic. I think what troubles me more is perhaps the people who weren't so deeply impacted and can sort of stay in a numb state and not really glean what was happening more metaphorically or metaphysically. Because to me, it's like there's the literal experience of what occurred. There was a global pandemic, you know, X number of people died, you know, kids were home from school, jobs were lost, except that, but then there's the much more, I think, important inquiry, which is like, what, what was this about? You know, what was this in service of? And to me, again, I just think it's like so tragic if, if we're not asking that question. It really was an, you know, I, I, when my, I'm, I have four kids and when my, youngest ones were doing remote learning. It was so interesting to watch the school district respond at the onset. And there was just such an absence of creativity. It was like, it was just such a crisis. And it, it's not to suggest that it wasn't a crisis, but it also was an opportunity to reimagine the entirety of the American educational system. And I understand that that's not like a small undertaking, but we could, you know, I think that's just such an example for life. 
challenges occur and we have the opportunity to interact with them from a place of creativity, imagination, curiosity, or just in like a closed defensive survival-based state, whatever we choose, and we've all done both, it will just produce particular outcomes. And so, you know, for me, I just really, really hope that as a collective experience, the net result is expansion. And I fundamentally believe that that is the way life works. So I trust that that is what will occur. Um, but I just, yeah, I think there's something for us to pay attention to. It's like, oh, you know, so glad that's over. And it's like, but is that, is that over? <laughs> you know? <laughs> is personal growth something that you've always been interested in, but you haven't really known where to start? If your answer is yes, then I wrote an entire planner series with you in mind. This planner series is broken down into five steps that are focused on helping you become more resilient and confident. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. It's as simple as that. Five steps towards growth and resilience. Learn more at www.buplanner.com. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a well, not perfect listener, you can get 10% off your order using code. Well, not perfect. Happy growing. And how did you come to some of these conclusions? What was your experiences in life that made you trust so deeply that there was going to be an experience collectively that served the world? in a metaphysical way? A few things. I grew up in a very affluent community outside of Chicago. And I had a sense that it was a very isolated experience. Something about it just felt very unreal. Uh, so that coupled with coming from a family that has a lot of curiosity, like my grandparents were part of a preservation effort in New Mexico for sacred land so that land didn't get developed. And, you know, there were like lots of things that informed my life, but, you know, I just, I saw the disparity between the North shore of Chicago where I was raised and getting pregnant at 18 by a man who grew up in public housing in Chicago and it was very clear to me that they informed one another. Like they required one another to exist. And so that just became incredibly interesting and important for me to explore. Again, like nothing is occurring on its own. And, you know, I don't identify as Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I don't identify as a recovering Catholic. I know many people do, but I actually had a really great Catholic experience growing up. One of the things that I got really, really um, strongly out of kindergarten through eighth grade in Catholic school in Winneka, Illinois, was um, just a sense of responsibility for one another. And I do think that that can easily be lost if it's not kept in the foreground. Yeah. And what you said before is that you had some polarities in the way that you were seeing the world and the way that you were living, and somehow you were able to mold them into something that is balanced um, because your principle and discipline comes a little bit different from 
mine in slightly different words and terminology. Um, but it, it's almost cosmic or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what is the language that you would use to kind of explain kind of the unexplainable? Yeah. I mean, I do believe that there's a divine order to all of existence. And I, I think that there's more going on in this reality than what meets the eye. And I don't identify as a religious person, but I do identify as a mystical person. And so I'm very interested in looking beyond the literal and sort of um, sensing, you know, we're, we're these like extraordinarily intelligent creatures. And we have oftentimes sort of disconnected our intelligence from our emotional capacity and our body capacity. And we, we act as if we are just this mind or just this brain. And so for me, I've really, really relied very heavily on my gut and on my heart and you know, I just have had many experiences of being on my knees. Like, how can this be? <laughs> like, this does not work. I have two little kids. I have to feed them. I have to pay bills. And then out of nowhere, out of no way, a seeming way is made. And, you know, for me, it's like, call it grace, call it like, call it the divine, call it cosmic, call it, like the words to me are less important than the felt sense. And I think that when we don't allow ourselves to be in our bodies, we cut ourselves off from a kind of wisdom and intelligence that is so much faster than our brain. There's a couple of key words that I'm picking up on that I think are really powerful you've talked about curiosity, you've talked about wisdom, but the biggest word that you've talked about that I find really, really important is trust. Hmm. And I've said it a lot and I'm not sure anyone either likes it or thinks it's funny, but I say it all the time. Anyways, it's like, throw me out a window, but I'm a cat. Like I will land on my feet. It doesn't matter what story you throw me out of. Like I'm landing on my feet. And there's no other way that I can articulate the sense that I have about how and why I'm going to be okay and why everybody else is going to be okay. I believe my clients are going to be okay. I believe my employees, my family, everyone, everything's going to be okay. And I don't know how I know that. Hmm. I just know. That's awesome. And the rational part of me tells me that it's by proof that I've been through a lot of trials and tribulations. Some is public, some isn't. And I've survived a lot of it. And I see how I've survived. I see the golden thread of putting one foot in front of the other, surrounding myself by people who love me. And I find people who love me. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe that's what I think it is. Like, maybe that's my secret to this is that I, every step of my life have surrounded myself with people who truly love me and I love them. And by that in of itself, I have to be taken care of. Right. I mean, I love what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the, the power of community really kind of disallows you from failing. Yeah. What it also speaks to is that you're a magnet. We are all magnets. We are literally 
energy in motion, vibrating at a particular frequency. And we are, you know, attracting particular experiences to ourselves. And so, um, you know, a couple, couple thoughts. I, I my dad used to always say growing up, don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows. And I just, that's always been good wisdom for me. And if I am attracting particular people in my, like there was a period of time when I was a single mom and I had three girlfriends and I would talk to one or all of them every night before I went to bed. And they were all single moms. And invariably we would discuss the deficiencies of the guys we were dating. And guess what we kept creating more of? We were like laser focused on what wasn't working. And as I became increasingly committed to attracting an intimate partner that really like felt resonant to who and what I was creating in my life, I had to cut those people out. Not because I did not love them, but my former mother-in-law told me many years ago, she was like, baby, sometimes you have to love them and leave them alone. And that is just the God's honest truth. And so if there's something that I'm wanting to create in my life, I have to take an accounting of the world around me, where I'm investing my energy and ask myself, is it congruent with the thing I say I want to create? And oh if it my isn't, God, the word congruent, because <laughs> that is exactly what I say when I say your therapy is done when your inside matches your outside. That's when you know therapy is done. You do not need to be here forever. You can come back, but if your insides match your outsides, mm. we did. Our I and love you that. Can go and be therapy awesome. free and then come back when you need it. But the congruency is a word that I see, feel, envision. It's this word that has so much meaning to me. It's like a future tattoo. Like it's so powerful for me. And then I say it and it's like, but do you feel that? Like, do you get it? You know? And if you've felt it and experienced it, you get it. If you haven't just like anything, you probably don't, you probably don't, you can't relate, but the congruency of, I want an intimate partner. Therefore I, I need an intimate partner on the outside, right. For that congruency. And it's easier said than done, but it's possible. And through the seasons of the podcast, I've talked to psychologists who call it positive psychology, or they call it, you know, thought reframing, talking to yourself positive or acting from your values to receive the things that you are putting out there in terms of your values. I've talked to other people who talk about abundance. They talk about manifesting, right? More of that spirituality side of things. We're all saying the same thing, totally. which is if you feel like you deserve want, or need something inside, then it's possible to have it. And people will call it woo woo. There's no other way to say how people have come from their knees and stood up and have received like, that's right. You've been down, you've gotten up, you've received. So you're exactly the example that I'm kind of talking about. And people want to know, like, how did you start to do that? Because listening to this is so exciting and, and we all want this, but like, what was, what was happening for you that started making that more realistic? 
Yeah. I mean, we've all heard the expression like sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that was to a large extent where I was. I mean, I was 22, 23, had two little kids. Life felt hard. And something in me just kept saying, there's got to be another way. Like, I just can't imagine that this whole thing was created to just be about struggle. Like that just cannot be. And so I, I, I became somewhat voracious, looking for paths, philosophies, teachers, thinkers, scientists that could substantiate another reality. You know, I oftentimes refer to my very favorite lyric, which is a Bob Marley lyric. And he says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And that is sort of the recipe to me, the extent to which I become aware of what I would call the truth of who I am, my sense of wholeness, the more powerful and possible I am in this dimension of reality. So I had to, in, in the case of manifesting my current husband, who I flipping love and adore and was like never going to be a reality in a previous state of my life. Um, I had to fall madly in love with myself first. And the irony was that by the time I actually went through the process of falling madly in love with myself, I was actually like, I'm good. I, I don't even think I need a partner. And then boom, he showed up, you know? And so I think that there's just deep acceptance of where I am. And this is, you know, very Jungian. You cannot shift what you cannot accept. And so our willingness to be with the unconscious or the subconscious and to really uh, do what you might call shadow work, you know, and there are all kinds of very intentional ways to do that. So it doesn't take you out, but I think we have to be willing to look at the underbelly of ourselves to even have access to the greatest vision of who we're here to be. And that's the paradox. Do you think that people are scared to do that work because they're afraid of what they're going to see? Yeah. And they like the underbelly be. of the beast, like that just makes me cringe. Like, I don't want to go to that dark place and it's terrifying. And yet the people who have been there and gone through it tell you it's the most enlightening part. But when you're on the outside listening, I, every time I'm interviewing, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how are the listeners going to receive this? And I'm hearing you and you have the experience, you have the wisdom and it sounds awesome. And then there's someone else in the room that's thinking that feels so far away from me. That feels impossible. Right. But something is making them say and listen. Mm -hmm. And what do you, what do you say to those people? Like, do you tell them like, find a mentor or find the thought leader? Like, is cause that's kind of where you started. Is it not? Would that be the first step for someone listening to be like, okay, I can keep listening. I can read this. Yeah. I mean, I felt that, like I was in survival. Like I felt like I didn't have another choice like they're literally like the way I was experiencing life was not sustainable. It wasn't financially sustainable. It wasn't emotionally sustainable. I had left a very violent relationship that was riddled with addiction. You know, like I, I, I have, I would not wish my experiences on most any, any human being, 
really. So it started as, you know, one of my friends and mentors is a guy named Michael Beckwith. And he famously says, pain pushes until vision pulls. And so oftentimes we are pushed by pain to an awakening. And so I think that we each have to trust, like if you're listening to this conversation, there's something that has you listening to this conversation. And the moment you choose not to, I trust that. And then you'll have another invitation for whatever's right and best and true for you. So, you know, this was my experience. This has been my journey. It's not over. It's a constant practice. I mean, I have very real time application of this uh, work in my life. It's not, it's not like a developmental stage that you grow out of, <laughs> you know? So I just think we each have to listen for what we're attracted to, trust sort of the breadcrumbs that you're led on. If you notice a recurring aversion to something, you might just double check if it's your own cynicism, your own resistance, and see why is that bugging you so much? Why is that teacher, that thought leader, that book, that philosophy, that point of view so irritating to you? There may be some wisdom in that. Hi everyone, Audrey here with a quick little offer for you. I know that most of you will agree with me when I say Mondays can be tough, tiring, unmotivating, you get the gist. What if I told you you could start your week off feeling motivated and inspired instead? I created a membership program called Mondays with Audrey to do just that. Every Monday you'll see me in your inbox with inspiration on a topic of the month, anything from sticking to your goals to setting healthy boundaries to mastering your morning routine. Each new month kicks off with a new topic and a new video followed by weekly emails to keep you motivated and accountable. This program is the place where I can stretch my wings, be myself, and give candid advice from the heart. Sound up your alley? Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash Mondays with Audrey and get access to a free month using the code WELLNOTPERFECT. Join me on Mondays and make it the best day of the week. The other day I was reading and it said, what people think of you is a reflection of them. And what you think of people is a reflection of yourself. And I was thinking about some silly narratives and stories that I have in my head. And I call them narratives and stories because I've created some stories about myself and other people that are stories. I don't know if they're true. I can't read inside the other person's mind. It's my narrative. It's my story and I have to own it. And my narrative is that they think that they're better than me. And so I have to then look at that and say, if, if I think that they think they're better than me, then I'm insecure that I'm not enough for them. And then I have to look at myself and say, why don't I think I'm enough? And if they do think they're better than me, that's a reflection of them and why they think they have something more than someone else. So it peels back the superficialness of what's going on and says, wow, I have something inside of me that does not feel like I'm enough because I struggle with work-life balance. I struggle with being a great mom and a great entrepreneur and business person and podcast host. And so this person is 
pointing out something in me that I'm insecure about. And she just happens to be the person I'm projecting that onto. And I've just now been working around this the last two, three days, but it's really powerful because then when I see them, I don't act out my insecurities and then I don't create a negative relationship. I don't create drama in a group of people that thinks I would be a drama starter. I don't cause problems for my kids when we're at different parties. Right. So then I've stopped manifesting something negative because I didn't act out my insecurities because they're never about her. They're about me and what I'm insecure about in my life. And that type of work I do on my own through reading and journaling and talking to you. Right. I probably wouldn't have ever verbalized to that. And then this radiates out into the world forever. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is so powerful and it's really radical. Most people are not, it, it, even if you are self-aware, most people are, are unwilling to reveal what you just revealed. And my, my sense is that your willingness to, to narrate your process is like literally an act of liberation for humanity. Because that's so you're, what you're doing is like radical responsibility. That's a big, big deal to be both self-aware and then willing to take responsibility for it. Like that's huge. I just, I don't know. I feel very inspired by watching you and listening to you narrate that because that is what changes family systems. That is what changes communities. That is what changes the world. And I believe it so deeply. I have always envisioned a practice and now called simply be that does things differently. And so you're calling it radical. And I've never used that word. I've just said therapy beyond the four walls. Um, you know, this is therapy beyond the walls. We did a mental health action walk for the first time and it was national, but we did it here as well. And that to me was therapy beyond the walls. But when you say radical, or I use the word innovative, all of it is is really meant to, and, and you just gave me a new word for it. You know, I didn't know that I had, um, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Because you don't always know when you're growing and when you're doing well until someone points it out. So thank you for pointing that out. I did not really understand it, but, but because I verbalized it and you affirmed it now I've grown. Hmm. And if I didn't verbalize it, I wouldn't have grown as much. And your willingness to do that out loud in public is an invitation for me to do that and for listeners to do that. So it's like an incredibly generous act because we can all sit at home and navel gaze, you know, but there's a way in which like you doing that is an invitation and an act of generosity for all of us because it's like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. We're all just trying to figure this out. I'm so grateful. She said that huge, but I'll be full transparency and say that for whatever reasons, 
when I share these parts of me, the judgment I have about myself is you're taking up space about yourself when it's not about you. Right. So then I feel selfish when I share things about myself, because then the judgment is you don't really know what you're talking about. You're boasting yourself up or yeah, we all know you're great. Stop talking about it. Like there's a lot of criticism I have as I say these things out loud and I've just sort of ignored them enough to push through, but sitting here saying those things, I had those thoughts as well. I just have gotten used to them. They haven't really disappeared. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, I've mentioned it every podcast. I think it was life-changing for me, her chapter, the road trip in big magic. She tells her, um, fear to sit in the backseat and invited it to be on the journey with her, but told her, told it, you cannot touch the radio. You cannot touch the steering wheel. You cannot drive my car yet. You can exist. Cause I exist. And so these really terrible criticisms I have of myself sit in the back seat as I'm talking to you. And I've been doing therapy for over a dozen years now, and that's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> I have not dropped them off. Like yeah. they're with me. And I've done a lot of really good work in the last five years on myself, becoming a mom. I just really was like enough with the insecurities. Like I'm done. I'm going to be me. I'm tired of being insecure, but they don't, they haven't gone away, you know? And I hope that's hopeful for people and not scary to think that they never go away, but that's just, that's just how I am. I mean, right. We're all a bunch of paradoxes. Like, yeah. but I believe that if I speak it enough, it won't take control over me. Like I shared something last night with a friend who I saw on the street and she said, how were you? And I told her that there was some stuff going on and I wasn't okay. And I said, the reason why I'm sharing that with you, because she's not my best friend. I said, the reason why I share that with you is because if I keep talking about it, just maybe it won't take me over. And I think that's what I do. I think the reason why I share so many of my experiences is to help myself not get overtaken. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, I always say we teach what we most need to learn, you know, I mean, certainly not unique to me. That's, I didn't come up with that one, but it's, it is. And I think it also lends itself to the credibility that you have, you know, we can't just do this work conceptually. We have to be a living embodiment and an alive practice of this and you know, I, I think the other thing that I was thinking of as you were sharing that voice that that voice of doubt that lives in some of us more loudly than others is also deeply rooted in historical frameworks, contexts, social conditioning. Like it, we could just look at the level of gender. Like, of course, as a woman, you have a sense that you shouldn't speak up about yourself. And when you override that conditioning, 
disruption in the best of ways. You just broke it down in a theoretical framework down to like something really tangible. And I want to break that down again. You're saying that the stories and the narratives that I have about myself have been rooted in generational experiences, generational development, growth, influence, trauma, um, societal impacts through the decades of my heritage and my genetics, which is biological, which of course plays, and then my gender. So, so what I'm saying today at my age is rooted in centuries and centuries and centuries of things. And then I'm overriding it by telling it to sit in this, in the back seat. And it is why the criticism is still kind of in the background because I can't undo, I say centuries, thousands, right? Eons. Like I can't undo all of that in my 30 plus years. Like it's going to be a thing. And I hope that it's just a little lighter for my daughter. Yes. Right. My mom told me that she said, I just hope I did better than my mom did for me and her mom did for her. And it was like her admitting she wasn't perfect and her hoping that I was going to do better than her. And that's permission for me to try to exceed. And it doesn't make her look bad. It doesn't make her feel bad. It's what she wants me to do. And that's really empowering to hear my mom say that to me because it's permission to, to stretch it and to go for it. I mean, that's where the notion of seven generations behind and seven generations ahead comes from. When we do the work in ourselves, we don't just impact ourselves. We clean up our ancestors' Ooh. work Ooh. Yes. and we create a new future for those not yet here. And that is our Ooh. responsibility. That is, whoa. This is the second time I've had that like huge concept that I'm, you know, front and back having generations behind me and forward and what we do every day. And we've, we've really, my family has really kind of come around to that. My husband and I are now seeing our young kids turn into thinking humans at their ages. They're younger, six and five. But we think about what we do right now is going to inform the way that they think when they're 20, 30, 40. And that's not news to anyone, but before they turn five, you just think that they're this little blob, right? That just plays. And all of a sudden they start to replay the things that you've said or done. And you think, oh, I, I don't want that to be a family lineage. I don't want them to have that judgment. I don't want them to have that privilege or whatever. I want them to have to fight for it on their own too. Um, like money doesn't grow on trees, right? Like they think a quarter is a million dollars right now. So, um, this idea of really trying to, I wrote it down. Um, you said go beyond the ordinary. And that's what this conversation is. We're going beyond the ordinary conversation that you have at Starbucks with your friend. You were so fun to talk to. I felt like just like therapy, right? It's like we talk and then we get into it. And then like, it finally kind of comes back to that same level and, uh, talk about meta, right? There's this sort of like meta energy that kind of comes through the interview too. I, I appreciate that. your willingness to create this kind of space for people. 
I think it's really, really great to just go on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a podcast. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I do. It's um, titled Find Your Fierce and Loving. It's really intended to be sort of a space of provocation. So really like going beyond the cup of coffee conversation, like what's going on in this Going beyond the cup of coffee. Write that down. That's your new tagline. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just really like, what, how do you make sense of this life? How do you make sense of this world? And I use a lot of, you know, my own personal experiences because that's the only real thing I'm an authority on. And um, yeah, it was, it's a really powerful space. I have a membership community and we practice weekly uh, via Zoom, just group coaching, inquiry, experiential learning. I think it's really, really important to find spaces that support your own internal state so that we come to understand like what is having my life look as it does for better or for worse. And doing that in community, like you said, from the beginning is doing this as a thread of a bigger fabric and you create that with your community, you create that with your podcast and that's really inspiring. And anyone can find your podcast and go and listen and continue to be inspired. And if you're listening and you're ready to take the first step of trying to discover more about yourself, it's in podcasts, it's in books, it's in the people that you find on social media, or it's in your spiritual sector, whatever it is, just continue to get curious and interested and find your people who inspire you. Um, I came back for season two of the podcast because I've never met more aligned people than I have across the world through the podcast. Talk about manifesting. And every day I have a lot on my plate. And then when I do this, it's like, I lose sense of time. I'm just happy, happy, happy. Mm. So thank you for reaffirming that for me today. And, um, you know, I hope everyone comes and finds you lessons. Cause I know that you've also, you've obviously have a lot of really great things to share. Thank you. It is a gift to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. And, um, yeah, I guess what I would invite people to consider is invest in yourself. You are worthy of investment, whether it's therapy, whether it's group coaching, invest in you. It's, it's a good, it's the best investment you'll ever make. Yes. Thank you. And on that note, there's nothing better to say other than thank you for another episode of, well, not perfect. Thank you for listening to season two. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information on all things podcast, check us out at Instagram. Well, not perfect and DM us any questions you have and content that you'd love to see this season. See you next week.